What's up, fight fans? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Friday, August 30th, 2019. My name is Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. And I'm joined by my always amazing co-host, Miss Natalie. Hello, Double G. Happy Friday, man. Are you excited for Labor Day weekend? You know what? Usually I'd say yes, but if I'm being honest, my schedule has me pretty busy going through the weekend. I will be at LFA in Riverside tonight, and then I will be working Saturday, Sunday, so it's not like I get that nice three-day weekend like the young people of the world. I'm actually going to be, you know, kind of on the grind, which is fine, you know. I've had a couple days off following Anaheim and you see 241 so i think it's a good thing that i kind of get back in the get back in the swing of things what about you i heard you've had quite a relaxing week <laughs> yeah i went down to uh, san diego for a you know i guess the last hurrah before uh before life changes completely as i'm told it will um it was fun man went to the zoo which haven't been to a zoo in a long time and uh, i know some people are kind of like you know, poo-poo the zoo, but I liked it. I enjoyed it. It's cool to see all these animals. Um, I mean, it has a purpose, right? Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Like, it's legit. How many of these amazing animals, we would never get to see them. And these days, you can't really get away with mistreating animals, you know. Uh, So I trust in the San Diego Zoo, anyway, that they're doing a good job and and, uh, treating those animals well. They seem fine. Um, But I will tell you, uh, most of them were like sleeping, <laughs> like all the cats, like the lions and the well, the lions were awake, but all the tigers and cheetahs, they were just napping. I mean, they're nocturnal, so it makes sense. During the day, they do not care. Um, yeah, you're lucky but, if you get that one time where the tiger just walks up to the glass, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, polar bears were sleeping. Mm-hmm. The uh, the hippos were awake, so that's cool. <laughs> Um, but no, man, it was pretty sweet. It was pretty sweet. And uh, we were there just before the rush, so it was quiet. And um, and that's it. But glad to be back. Good old L.A. There's nothing like it, I'll tell you what. I, I mean, I love the city. <laughs> and you know, hey, you get to go back home to your nice warm bed, right? I mean, that's yep, always exactly. like, oh, I forgot how good you feel. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing like your own bed because someone else's bed is never as nice. For real. Well, let's talk about some stuff. We obviously came home for some mixed martial arts action. I know that's why you guys are tuning in. So let's get it started. Bellator 225. Name value uh, on the main card, maybe not quite what fans are used to in terms of, oh, this is a major Bellator, blah, blah, blah. But there was certainly a lot of notable things going on. Um, let's talk about some of the highlights from the top down. Obviously, Matt Mitrione versus Sergey Karatanov. Natalie, I have some thoughts. Not all of them are very nice. So I'm going to let you take the first crack at it before I get rolling. <laughs> okay. So when we talked about it last week, I think we were both expecting them to come out swinging. Yep. And uh, they did. They did. It wasn't like uh, they weren't like heavy bombs at the beginning. It was uh, calculated. But they were going back and forth. There weren't any lulls. 
And I thought, okay, this is going to be a good fight. And then the whole mouthpiece narrative took over. So that was strange. I was kind of shocked by how distracted Mitrion was getting by the issue. But obviously, you know, the last thing you want is to be in a fist fight with like a giant Russian and not have that extra protection. So how do you not sympathize with him? But this is the biggest stage, you know, and, and uh, even Dan Marie was like, that's not my problem, just bite down on it. So it was very strange to me that, that he was getting so flummoxed uh, or so uh, dis, mm, distracted by it. Um, and I wonder, I haven't listened to any interviews, so I don't know what he said post-fight, but I wonder, like, how hard really would it have been to, to just literally bite down on it for all, all your might because it's, it's, there's a lot at risk, right? Like, your teeth are, are on the line here. <laughs> Even with the mouthpiece, you can lose your teeth. So that was, that, was a, that was pretty surprising to me. I would have thought that would be enough motivation to bite down on that mouthpiece, but he was supremely frustrated, distracted by the malfunction. Um, I was really, like, every time he would talk to Dan Marigliato, he was kind of like, it was almost like, I don't want to say whiny, but I was very surprised at how vocal he was about it. And, and he's lucky that Karatanov was willing to step back and, and let him have those conversations with, with Dan Marigliato because anybody else would have just jumped in there. So very interesting. Uh, you know, luckily, though, despite eating that uppercut, the knee... The hammer fist. It looks like his teeth stayed where they where they where they started. But damn, man, I I'm. It's just who who do you blame for that one? I guess ultimately he's got to take the blame because he let them put in his mouth and he didn't say anything when there might have been time to fix the error. Well, very strange, man. I, I want to hear what, what you're thinking about this. Yeah, um, in terms of your breakdown, a uh, very on the nose, uh, Matt. Uh, he started the fight great. He was moving well. I thought he was very effective. I thought Sergey was having issues with his uh, output and uh, just getting a read on Matt. Um, but really, it goes back down to the narrative. Distracting is a great word to describe it. And I'm not just going to say for Matt. I'm going to say it for everybody. If you were there live, if you were watching on TV, and I'll be honest, um, if I'm a paying customer, remember, this is the fight that ended in 15 seconds because of a low blow from Matt. Yep. You know, the, so the, the fact, and I believe it's in the same exact venue, by the way, so it's like not for nothing, but a repeat offense kind of deal of some kind of, uh, I'll say, shenanigans uh, is it, very disappointing. Um, in terms of the uh, whole way it played out, I understand, you know, superstition and habit, you know, we see guys be a little, um, you know, just particular about their stuff all the time in all sports. I mean, you watch a guy like Rafa Nadal, and he does the thing with the water bottles a million times in tennis, but he's got so many championships, right? It's not unheard of to say, oh, you need to have your thing. That's part of the ritual that gets these high-level athletes dialed in, especially for a sport like MMA. That being said... Um, and I understand it. It wasn't his mouthpiece, the usual blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, you have this big dude, you know, looking for revenge on that shot. You're a heavyweight for crying out loud. Not for nothing, but you're not exactly Henry Cejudo throwing bombs. You're a freaking, you know, 250-plus pounds athlete throwing heavy punches. The idea that in the heat of the battle, he could not just sit and bite down on the mouthpiece 
that to me is just, uh, I, I don't know if you can make an excuse or a reason for it. And I heard his statement that he said that, oh, well, it wasn't that the mouthpiece it was my reaction to it. To me, that's, you know, tomato, tomato. It's like the same thing. You were clearly yeah. distracted. Um, the only thing I can think to say is that, um, uh, you know, really just why can't you? You know, I feel like there's no excuse. I, um, and once again, you know, to his credit, you know, habits and all that, I get it. It's not the usual. He uses the same one. That being said, you see fighters all the time. Maybe their eye gets swollen and the vision or they break their hand. There are adjustments that are made all the time. If you are in a cage fight, it is not always perfect. So the fact that Matt could not bite down on a mouthpiece, that to me is less of a problem than let's say you throw a punch and it hits his head and his hand breaks. You make adjustments for that. The fact that it became this narrative and took away from the action, um, very bluntly I'm going to just say disappointing and I'm going to leave it at that. Um, that's really just kind of it. Um, uh, he is a guy who sometimes has these kinds of weird things happen, which is why it's, uh, you know, it becomes a little distracting, right? So that, that's my thing. I think that when you look at the last fight and you look at what happened, it was very disappointing that it played out in this particular way, that the mouthpiece narrative is the story of the fight, plain and simple. Um, yeah, and like, you know, I'm just a cash potato here, so... Why Why do I even have a reason to, to criticize him? But it is strange. I mean, we, we watch a lot of fighting, and, uh, why, yeah, just, like, just bite down on it. You know, what, what, I can't explain it, and so just have to leave it at that. Yeah, and like I said, he, only he could say exactly what is going on in his habits, but, you know, when you have to make adjustments, that is part of the game just as much as, when you hurt something in a fight or anything else, that the bite down on the mouthpiece feels like a very, it's an adjustment you should be able to make, plain and simple. Yeah. I think that's what it really comes down to for all the fans who spent their time to watch or spent their money to watch. And I think that's what people are frustrated about. Um, in terms of what's next, uh, Sergey, uh, you know, not the biggest name, but he's obviously got a great resume. We know Ryan Bader's defending the title next week, and the, uh, the thinking is that he'll do 205 against either Gegard Musasi or Lyoto Machida, who fight later next month. Um, in terms of the heavyweight title, I don't know if he actually comes back to defend it this year or next year, but you imagine that Sergey, um, Vitaly Minikov, who won on the card, there's there's guys for him to fight, you know, plain and simple, um, but I just don't think a title shot immediately next is going to be what happens. But, look, this is a win. Either way, it goes down as a W on his record, and he moves up in the heavyweight division, which is not a pla bad place to be in. Um, there was a lot of good stuff from the card. The, the main card had a bunch of finishes, so if you were tuning in, you got your, you know, your money's worth out of that, out of your time. You got to see some good action. I loved Alejandra Lara, former title challenger, getting the win, and she had obviously that very viral uh, weigh-in with her photos. I've interviewed Alejandra. She's always been amazing, so I'm um, very happy that she got her attention, you know, to a great cause, and she got back in the win column after losing two 
You had a lot of other little stuff. You had um, Mr. Van Zant, as a lot of fans like to tease him. Austin Vanderford, he got a win in Bellator. And obviously, you know, we're going to talk about his wife and the, the free agency and how that plays in. Um, but the other one, Nick Newell, gets that arm triangle finish. Um, uh, Natalie, I think the most thing that's impressive, very bluntly, you don't expect a guy with only one hand to be able to get a squeeze like that, but he just had a good grip and really took it to a very tough Corey Browning. Uh, what are your thoughts on him securing that victory and, of course, seeing him now in the Bellator lightweight division? Yeah, I'm excited to see him. Uh to see him with Bellator, um, that's his. That's one. That's one of his. You know, strangely, unexpectedly, right? Those are one of his. That's one of his greatest skill sets. Uh, despite the disadvantage that you know, we would say we would call it a disadvantage. But what what's interesting is that you know he spent his whole life trying to turn that into a, into not only an advantage but like a secret weapon, and uh, clearly he's done it. You know, it's probably very really really strange and um, probably confusing for, for his opponents to have to deal with it, unexpected, like, double strength in one, in one arm versus the other, and, and the, the second hand, or arm, I should say, um, it probably does things that someone with two hands can't do, and so it's like this whole thing probably running through your head as the opponent of, you know, not knowing really fully how to defend something like that. So I think it's super cool. And uh, as far as him being with Bellator, smart move, talented, he's charismatic. You know, he has a strong fan base, and he was in his hometown this time around. But there's such a great, unique, and inspiring story. Like, Bellator knows how to – they're really good at making intelligent signings. You see it time and time again. This is another one. And, uh, you know, UFC didn't, didn't, didn't see enough, didn't, couldn't hmm. – they couldn't, they couldn't visualize. They didn't have a vision for him, but I think Bellator does. So that's great for both sides. Yeah, um, not for nothing, but they fight in that venue several times a year. So it's not like, let, let's be honest, he could fight just in Connecticut and have a very active Bellator career. Yeah. So I think that um, on that note, that um, not for nothing, that's that's not a bad place to be in if you're Nick. Um, in terms of the finish, yeah, very impressive. I thought that he looked very composed. He looked very good. Um, and Corey Browning is a guy who upset some, you know, the, the uh, Aaron Chal- Chalmers, Chambers. I'm sorry if I forget that one right now. I don't watch yeah, regular Jersey Shore, so I didn't see, obviously, his season in the U.K. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Baby Slice, uh, you know, Kevin Ferguson Jr., that was a, you know, he's a guy who's, gone in there and come out with the win with some, you know, guys who really he shouldn't have probably beaten in a lot of people's eyes. So this was a good win for Nick Newell. In terms of the UFC versus Bellator thing, I'll be honest, I thought that, you know, in his mind, the impression I always got was that it was UFC or bust for the band name, et cetera, et cetera, which is fine. That's obviously his prerogative. That's his dream. Um, It certainly is of a lot of people. But I'm glad because, like you said, uh, there's a lot of upside. I do think Bellator has a vision for him. In terms of the lightweight division, it is more big fish, smaller pond. I think that he has a chance to make more of an 
immediate impact in Bellator. I'm not saying he's about to fight Patricio Pitbull for the title later this year, but, you know, he sets, he becomes a very interesting new player. He's fresh blood. He's very experienced. I can see them matching him up with guys, maybe a Sayada Watt or somebody in that vein, because he is a guy who carries a lot of experience, and he's a big name that, you know, he will draw in an audience, I think, and I think that's something to be said. Or this was a one-fight deal. Let's say the UFC is still looking at him. Let's say that there may be, hey, you know, what about this contract at this stage? That's not out of the question right now. He obviously signed a one-fight deal for a reason, and I think that there's, you know, there's a lot of options for him moving forward, but I think that's the biggest thing is that he can stay in Connecticut if he really wanted to and draw, bring in tickets. And Bellator's lightweight division gives him a lot more, um, you know, it's a quicker route to the title, plain and simple. Yeah. Moving on, obviously, there was, so there was a lot of fun stuff. Was there anything else from the card that you wanted to add before we move on to our news of the week? No, man, I'm actually excited to move on to the uh, the next news item. <laughs> okay, well then, let's talk about it. It is time to rumble once again. Anthony Johnson, the two-time former lightweight, uh, sorry, light heavyweight title challenger, announces that he is going to be coming back in 2020. His manager, Ali, said that he's re-entering the USADA testing pool and is looking at an early 2020 return to the octagon as a heavyweight. You guys will remember he's not fought since 2017, if I'm not mistaken, where he lost to Daniel Cormier, and he had that announcement that said he just really – he just felt like that was it for him. He didn't want to go through the grind and the, you know, the physical toll that it took to be a cage fighter, and he wanted to move on to other things. And he even said it didn't matter. Had he won the title, he still would have retired. So this is a very interesting move. I think the fact that he doesn't want to cut weight plays into it. But Natalie, he becomes a very interesting player at heavyweight if he does. What are your thoughts on arguably the biggest heavyweight, sorry, the biggest knockout artist that we've ever seen in MMA coming back to action? Dude, when I hear this, when I think about this news, I just hear like the Jaws music playing because <laughs> he's terrifying. He was terrifying at 205. You know, he did lose to DC twice, but if he lands on you, it's over. Now, DC survived eating one of those punches, but another one, I think, would have, would have, would have <laughs> sealed the deal in, uh, in Rumble's favor. So I'm super excited. How could you not be? He looks tremendous. Just going off of how, I mean, literally, like, physically tremendous. The way he looked, uh, he appeared at the BKFC events. I mean, I suspect he's probably going to have to actually cut a little bit of weight, you know, once he gets in training or I don't know what his activity level has been. He's beefed up, but he, he doesn't necessarily look like um, he's ready to fight anyway, at least the last time I saw him. But damn, dude, that's, that's, really, um, that's really good news for the UFC heavyweight division. I think who wouldn't, be, who wouldn't want to jump at the chance to fight him, like even though everyone wants the belt, this is just a great opportunity for, for anyone on the roster, for the division, People will tune in to see Rumble's return at this at this higher weight class. We want to know how much more power he's packing. What's his movement going to be like? 
So all around excitement and fear, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? Um, to me, I remember talking about it last year when you said he was out, and I, I say this frequently when fighters start talking like that. If you don't want to be out there, I don't want you out there because I feel like for the investment and everything else that everyone makes into everything is that if a fighter truly feels like this isn't something they want for themselves, then I don't want it. You know, I don't want to invest in breaking down your fights, watching, tuning in, expecting the Anthony Rumble who's going to bring it when I know that, you know, whatever you have going on, your heart's not in it. I don't want to feel like it's forced on anybody. So when he retired, obviously I was disappointed like everyone because it's, you know, it's Rumble freaking Johnson. I mean, it's, you know appointment television every time he's fighting if you ask me so um that was it i feel like this is a sign that whatever he felt like he was figuring out or what wherever he is in his life now is a good sign that he's back and then you know like i said earlier stylistically i mean you argue he's the most prolific knockout artist we've ever seen i'm about to you know it's arguable for a matchup i'm going to mention to you in a second but you know let's be honest who has a reputation like this for so many years at so many weight classes i mean you're talking about a former welterweight 170 who was putting dudes to sleep and then he jumps up to 205 fighting guys like glover tashira and he's still putting them down with the same kind of efficiency that's ridiculous imagine one welterweight on the roster right now doing what he's doing at light heavyweight. It's impossible. You would think not. not. Not one of those guys could do it, period. I don't care which one they are. So I think the fact that he's doing that is a testament to just, you know, that freak power of his that's just unreal. So it is, you know, the idea of him at heavyweight, I'm hoping it still translates. Obviously, you know, heavyweight, those are even bigger guys than 205 that he's going to be fighting. So it's not just a given that he's going to put guys to sleep at the same, um, you know, uh, percentage. But he's obviously a very exciting player at heavyweight. I'm going to say bluntly, I want to see him versus Francis Ngannou, I don't want to hear about anybody else. I don't want you to mention anybody else. I don't want you to act like those are the fights that would be better. I want to see the two most, the two top knockout artists in MMA throw down and try to take the title from the other. That's what I want to see. What do you think about that? Man, I, I definitely like it. My, uh, my, my potential opponent uh, was actually Derek Lewis, but I mean that's okay. <laughs> it's okay, exactly. I thought about Francis Ngannou, but I was like, no, that's too much. That's like too much too soon. So I guess I was trying to be nice uh, <laughs> to Rumble, <laughs> give, him a, give him a chance to test the waters. Uh, but yeah, Ngannou, are you kidding me? That that would be insane, insane. Um, if if uh, I'll go with you, that is the that is the, the most juicy pick. Uh, I would put Derek Lewis at number two for uh, for exciting matchups, but damn, either one and really anyone because oh yeah, it's just like guaranteed, guaranteed like fist to face to canvas like that's just guaranteed. Yeah, Derek Lewis, you have a very good point. Test the waters. He's been out a minute. 
But it's kind of like Tony and Habib. You don't want to be robbed of the fight for any reason. You just want to have it happen at least once while it's while it feels good. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Why waste time? Let's just go. We'll see what happens. Because the worst thing that happens is you get a trilogy out of it. You know. <laughs> exactly. No, but um, uh, I'm with you. And like you said, uh, anyone in the heavyweight division, if Rumble's power translates the way it has at 205 for his career. I mean, that's just good television all around. Let's say bluntly, it's, he matches up so well with so many of the guys. So it makes it for a lot of fun. And, um, yes, we'll be talking about him early next year. Obviously, you know, he's still got a clear USADA. So it is a few months before we actually get to see Rumble back in the octagon and all that jazz. So we'll be back to that story soon. Moving on, our next news story Darren Till makes his return at 185. He will be taking on Kelvin Gastelum this November at Madison Square Garden. Obviously, both of them are coming off disappointing losses. Till in the knockout loss to Jorge Masvidal. Kelvin Gastelum, the epic fight with Israel Adesanya in April. Um, I know that you wanted to see Kelvin back. Darren Till probably wasn't the opponent you were thinking but this is a very interesting fight for both of them. I think that Darren Till at 185 is something people have been waiting a while for. And then if you're Kelvin, I think stylistically he matches up really well with Darren. But, you know, this is another one. Where is he at after all the work he's put in and he's coming off that tough loss in such a close fight against Israel, which, let's be honest, he was supposed to have gotten the shot at the real title back in February. So it's a very interesting fight in terms of the timing for both men. They both really need a win to stay relevant, I think, in terms of chasing titles and everything else. What are your thoughts on the matchup at this stage? My first thought was, man, the UFC is not giving these guys moving up uh, in weight class any room to adjust. You know, Rockhold got Jan. Weidman's going to get Dominic Reyes, and now Till's getting thrown in with Gastelum. They're exciting matchups, so I get why they're doing it, but it's like, damn, you know, these. <laughs> this is like high-stakes competition, so it would be nice to, to give these guys a little bit of, you know, the UFC is not a, um, uh, a league that gives you tune-up fights, right, for the most part. Every once in a while you get one. But really, they're just trying to make the most exciting fights they can. And so when you have a big name and another big name waiting for a fight, you put them together, it makes sense, 100%. Um, I think Gastelum will be in a better position just because it's already his weight class. He's been there for a while. He'll be in a better position to, um, to perform at his best. And it's just, it's just a big question mark for Till. You know, he's so big, so... I don't know at what weight he's actually um, doing his walk training around. camps in. Like he cuts, well, yeah, the walk around weight. But I mean, like when he's actually in his training camp. So, how big is he before he cuts? And from from what we've seen, it seems like he's he's cutting a huge amount, like down to the wire. So, um, what kind of experience does he have actually in a training camp at at a, a weight closer to 185? And and if he has that experience, that might help him in this fight. And so, of course, everyone wants him to move up because of how severe his cuts are. But it's still, it's still a different ballgame when you get in there and have to go three rounds with all the adrenaline and everything in a physical state that you're not used to. So that's a big question mark. 
but is it a heck of a matchup? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that um, it's going to be a bit of an adjustment. I think that it is a very good in terms of logistical move. You talk about all the time, Kelvin Gastelum is a guy that they felt should still be able to make 170, and, um, you know, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. People already know what I think about um, his weight cuts down there. But um, at 185, uh, Kelvin has been fantastic. He's got a great record. He's proven that he is – style and his skills translate at 185. I think that, um, you know, regardless of the weight, I think that Darren Till struggles in the matchup with Kelvin, especially after we saw what he's capable of against Israel, his ability to get in and out, the wrestling in his back pocket, all of that really poses problems for a guy like Darren who, let's say like it is, he probably isn't going to be able to bulldoze him with his size and physicality like he's done at 170 to a bunch of guys. So that makes it difficult. That being said, his durability, um, I think how his body responds after um, not having to cut as much weight, all of that bodes well for him. His gas tank, you've got to think, is a little bit better. I think all of that you know, is big for Darren Till. And, you know, not for nothing, he's a heavy hitter. He's a guy who does damage when he touches you. So I think that all of that makes it for a very fun fight. But on paper, this seems to really favor Kelvin. And, um, you know, once again, not for nothing, this is a very big fight in terms of staying relevant in the middleweight division. I think people think if he wins, you know, there's going to be odd men out after Israel, Robert Whitaker, Paulo Costa all get their turn, Yoel Romero coming off a loss. All these are big fights that he's still in the running for if he gets a victory. So, you know, he, he kind of still needs that one. And then if you dare until, this is a huge opportunity to jump back up to the title contention, if you ask me, and get in that top five, you know, in the middleweight division after you were a former challenger at 170. So... It's a very big fight for both of them, like you said, high stakes, and it, it comes at a very interesting time in the division for both men, so I think that that really bodes well, and once again, that one's going to be not too far from now, November, you know, we're about to be December on Sunday, sorry, September on Sunday, so it's not <laughs> too far away, about two months-ish from this fight, so it's going to be good. I know, a lot, of, a lot of stuff moving around, it's hard to keep up with all the dates just when we're doing the show. Moving on, our last news story, 12-gauge Paige Van Zandt had a very interesting interview with her husband on Ariel Helwani's MMA show, and essentially she said what I think a lot of people probably guessed, but she put it out there in her own words, that she makes a lot more money through Instagram, etc., endorsements, and that essentially after she finishes her UFC contract, which she's on her last fight, she wants a very significant pay raise to reflect that. So this obviously raised a lot of questions to a lot of people because obviously Paige, um, we know her star power and uh, everything else that she's done outside the cage. She's been very active in terms of other programming and other opportunities. But inside the cage, maybe her record hasn't been as um, successful as I think a lot of people, a lot of her fans would like. So her asking for more money, I think, drew a few questions. What are your thoughts on this situation? Because there's a lot of different angles to look at it from, if you're Paige, if you're the UFC, and obviously if you're both. 
she has a really strong brand. So I think it's, you know, even though her record is, it, I think it started out better and then it kind of petered, uh, petered out. And, and so it's, she's had some great performances and some not so great ones. But regardless, she's a, a strong brand for the UFC. They know that she has great value for them. She brings in eyeballs. She has a strong social media presence. So my response to her, my reaction to her, you know, publicly stating that she wants more money and she makes more money. She wants more money from the UFC. She makes more money with other um, business ventures outside of, of the cage. I'm thinking this is great. Everyone should be saying this. All the fighters. I mean, for what they're doing, the competition, the level of competition, the type of competition, the risk to their bodies, to their minds, and the amount of money the UFC is making off of them. Like, it's ridiculous, the discrepancy, and how undervalued they are by, by their own promotion. So I wish more bigger names in the UFC were talking like this. It's a risk. You're putting your neck out there, and then you have Dana White responding with, you know, I would say an expected, typical Dana White response with, if she's making more money there, then great, go do that. But they go hand in hand, right? Like she, she got the platforms outside of the UFC because she was in the UFC. It's yep. like uh, it's a great story. This exciting, pretty fighter um, can talk, looks great on camera. Let's let's show more of her, you know, outside. So I'm sure she understands that they they're tied together. So if she completely stopped fighting, the other aspects of her of her of her career, her, her other uh, sources of income, it's not going to be sustainable. Um, I don't think, unless she starts doing, like, TV personality work, you know, hosting, which she's actually fully, you know, capable of doing. She was great on, um, I can't remember the promotion, but she did commentary for uh, an MMA fight. She was really good. She was a natural. She was great interviewing, great on the on the uh, uh, outside of the cage doing the analysis. So, So she has skills. She has a great personality. There's a lot of options for her, but I still think right now, if she's not fighting, you know, that won't last forever. But ultimately, everyone should be talking like this. Everyone should be asking for more money, not just because it's what you do, like because it just makes sense to ask for a raise, but because they're being underpaid, they're undervalued, they're not just you. Look at any other big league sport, sports league. It's crazy the amount of support and money that they get. They have unions. They have um, contracts that, that are in their favor. This doesn't happen in the UFC, and and if they at least had their sponsors, uh, the ability to 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 uh, retain sponsorships the way they used to, okay, well then they can still be making uh, some some decent money. But it's such a different landscape right now, and it's just unfair. That's where I land always when I have this conversation in my mind. It's unfair for what they're giving us and the UFC. They're not getting much in return. Yeah, they're getting paid, but come on, guys, it's not even close to being fair pay. So, again, I'm glad she's saying this. Other people should join with her. For sure. Um, uh, a lot of stuff to unpack on that one. Uh, I think the thing that um, I'll start, devil's advocate, her record doesn't really matter as much to me because I think it gets uh, not just um, neutralized but essentially wiped out when you consider her popularity and her brand, like you said. If I'm UFC, I am a little concerned about that right arm breaking every year and taking her out a whole year each time. This is already three times it's happened, so not for nothing. Uh, that is a cause for concern if you're UFC. 
very bluntly. That being said, um, at the end of the day, if you put butts in the seats and you get people to tune in or buy the pay-per-view, etc., you get paid. Uh, Conor McGregor is a great example of this. And, you know, exactly how many, I'll say, blind eyes are turned when you have that kind of effect in numbers. I'm not saying Paige brings in Conor numbers, but people legit tune in to watch her. They want to talk about her. They want to see her for all the reasons. You know, it's very easy to look at her and see why she's so popular. Um, That's a given. Um, In terms of asking for more money, I think that she definitely does get the deal at the end of the day. Um, Remember that UFC isn't, you know, she didn't just randomly get the M1 job or the kinetic grappling on Fight Pass. Yes, she's got a few connections, but UFC is aware. UFC is promoting her in these other ventures. So I really do think that it's uh, just, you know, they're going to give her the deal. I think that there's uh, her contract may be, uh, uh, how do I put it, designed differently. It may be drawn up a little differently than typical fighters because, of, you know, so many outside things. But I think at the end of the day, they are going to make up the difference to her in different areas. Once again, you know, uh, obviously, if you're UFC, the, you get paid when you fight, and she only has fought once a year for the last few years. That makes it a little more complicated. But I do think that um, she's going to get paid because at the end of the day, not everybody is UFC champion. Not everybody is, you know, blah, blah, blah. How many fighters do they have? How many of them are champions? How many of them have even challenged for world titles? It's a very small percentage. You need fighters like Paige to make, you know, to keep the cards relevant. And that is something that can be understated. So, yes, you know, Bellator, Scott Coker, fight with her husband, fight on the same card. I'm sure all of that is teased and is fun to think about. But I just don't see a scenario where the UFC absolutely gives her a low-ball deal that she would walk away in free agency. I think that they see the, um, the value in her. I think that Paige knows the brand power that she gets being in UFC compared to anywhere else. Um, even if she goes to Bellator and keeps fighting, I can't say that everything keeps coming at the same rate anymore. So I think all of that comes together for a very interesting deal. So I think that that's what's going to happen. They're going to give her the deal. It may be structured differently um, with their outside stuff and all the opportunities they give her on Fight Pass and all that. But she's going to get the deal, and um, I think it, she, she earned it. I think that, at the, like I said, you get the people to watch, you make more money, plain and simple. We're looking at that time right now, and uh, I think at the end of the day, she's built her brand. And so now you pay her like it because she does bring in people to your, you know, she does bring in income to the company in a significant way, plain and simple. So, yeah, I'm with you. More people should say it. If you're building your brand, if you're doing it, you should be able to pay for more money, even if, you know, the wins and losses may not reflect, you know, your popularity all the time. I think that's fair to say. I know that um, she struggled a bit. She looked fantastic in the fight with Rachel Ostovich, if you ask me. So I think that she's in a good position to negotiate if she can look good in her next fight also. 
But yeah, obviously we'll find out. She says she wants to fight end of the year if possible. I think it'll be an early 2020 return just for health and safety, but obviously the, we're going to be there when we get there. Moving yeah, I, I, I'm glad you oh, brought up the arm. Oh, sorry. No, I was just saying, I'm glad you brought up the arm thing because it is certainly a concerning factor, and uh, I'm curious what the UFC will how 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 diligently they'll like scrutinize her her viability with as regards to that arm. You know, I I would assume that her uh, her care with um, surgery and all that is tied to the UFC, like they're probably recommending or have already recommended doctors and, and maybe that's who's been treating her. I don't know, but it would be in their best interest to do so. But it's definitely concerning. I mean, it's a, it's, if I just like, there's only so much you can do. There's only so much you can fix. There's only so much material there to work with. So I really hope for every, for her sake that they, they are able to get it right. But it must also be psychologically a challenge to overcome, you know, training, sparring, but like fight day, how much is that in your mind? Like, oh, man, I don't want to break my arm again. Now, we know she's tough. I mean, she fights with the arm broken, so it's not like it'll stop her from performing, but is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a possible potential career ender, you know, and that's something to keep in mind. Well, remember, she is also the one that kept looking for a doctor who would clear her so she could fight Rachel Ostevich. So I want to give credit. Paige is a tough cookie. You know, I, I, yeah. I get it. You see her in the Sports Illustrated, and, you know, you kind of feel like she's not, um, you know, she's there to be an athlete, not necessarily a gritty, you know, fight for all the pride and all that fighter. This girl loves to compete. She, you know, don't let the pretty face and makeup fool you. I think that that doesn't get talked about enough. When you're making, when you are trying to find that kind of, I don't want to say excuse, but, you know, trying to do that kind of stuff just so you could fight, when you make that kind of Instagram money, I mean, you got to give credit where it's due. She is a tough competitor, and I think, um, like you said, it, like, you know, it's tough. When you know your fighter, your asset is out all year because it keeps breaking, uh, nobody likes that. It doesn't matter if you're Paige, if you're Conor McGregor, if you're anybody else. Let's be honest right there. Yeah. But, yeah, so we'll find out. I'm sure, you know, we'll, we'll be revisiting this conversation. Not as much as we revisit Chris Cyborg a lot, but, you know, we'll be <laughs> talking more about Paige soon, I'm sure. Moving on, we do have a fight. Not tomorrow. It will essentially be in about 12 hours from Shenzhen, China. Uh, Jessica Andrade, the strawweight champion, goes to enemy territory to take on Weili Zhang. Or Zhang Weili. It's very confusing because I think people are, uh, you know, the language conversion and how we say their names get, throws me off, if I'm being honest. But we know who she is. We know what she brings to the table. Um, Natalie, go ahead and break down this fight because it is not as one-sided as anybody thinks, in your, if you ask me. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it's one-sided at all. They're both gritty, come-forward fighters. Uh, Andrade has, I would say against most opponents, has that like strength X factor where it should just muscle you. I mean, how, um, most notably against Rose Nami Yunus. But Weili Zhang... And, uh, yeah, I'm with you on the, uh, it's the last name first or the first name last. I don't know. 
or first name first uh, pronunciation. Um, she's a, to to quote your description of uh, of Paige Van Zandt. She's also a tough cookie. She's a little scary. She's aggressive, and uh, I'm just looking at their photos here on the UFC website. I mean, these are both scary looking looking fighters. So I think we're going to see a lot of action. I think Jessica will try to use her strength to take her down, but I suspect that Whaley will be prepared for that and have better, um, have a surprising uh, takedown defense. Like, you know, she'll surprise Andrade with how well she can keep that from going to the ground. Um, I don't know how her chin, how, uh, how, what Whaley's chin is like. So we've seen Andrade knock out Kovacavich, but Kovacavich was coming forward. Her chin was up. You know, Whaley doesn't stand like that. She's she's got her chin tucked. She's got that fighter posture. I can't really think of how this is going to end. I, I'm part of me thinks it could go to decision, but I suspect so, that they're kind of so just going to be I'm off. going to have you give your after my breakdown because I feel like it might be close. I want to give us some suspense. Sure, sure, okay. So okay. I, Do you I'll have anything else on your analysis of the fight, though? That I think that both these fighters are going to just kind of stand in the middle and go after it for, for a good amount of time. So I'm looking forward to that. Okay, okay. Yeah, to, to me, um, I think the most underrated thing is just how well-versed Li Zhang is. I think if you haven't seen her, you may not be aware of all the stuff she does outside her highlights. She is a solid grappler. She, rever- she reversed a lot of takedowns from Tisha Torres. Her ability to go from punches, you know, start with the punches, finish with kicks, and vice versa is very good. She maintains a high work rate. Her cardio has looked solid in her fights in the past. Um, So she's got a lot of weapons. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing. She's also underrated in her size. She's a very big straw weight when you look at her. Um, You can tell her quads are a little bigger. She's a little taller. So all of that bodes well for her. That being said, y'all know how I feel about Jessica Andrade. She is an absolute powerhouse. I say it, and I love saying it. She fights with that gangster. She goes out there to hurt you, and she keeps hurting you until the bell rings or until the ref says she has to stop. She is that vicious. She flat out hurts women. Now, she's very tough. She's going to come forward. She's going to stay in your face. We know she packs power. Um, Her top game, um, I'd argue it's the most violent um, uh, out of anyone at strawweight. You'd think even only maybe someone like Amanda Nunes or Chris Cyborg has a better one in women's MMA in terms of the damage they could cause. I think that Jessica, you know, all of that bodes well. Also keep in mind, people talk about the Rose Namajunas uh, fight and how good Rose looked in the first round. Jessica still got her hands on her and slammed her pretty good. So you've got to remember that even when she's losing, she is very dangerous at any minute because of that power, because of that strength that she has. It's very unreal. And Wei Li Zhang, like most people, has probably never fought a woman who packs that kind of pop like Jessica. In terms of the fight, I, I, I feel like it'll be a little bit of uh, the same for Whaley. I think that she tries to keep it in the middle, gets in and out, tries to just use her length and range to pick apart Jessica and maybe set up the finish that way if she can overwhelm her with output. 
I think Jessica's going to try to push forward and put her on the ground, maybe get her against the fence where she could really rip a shot to the body and she's right in front of her with nowhere to run. I think that we're going to see that, but I think Jessica wants to get her on bottom, drag her into deep water, and make her feel like, hey, I don't want to be in here for 25 minutes with Jessica Andrade. So I think that's how we're going to see the fight play out. Natalie, who do you see winning now, now that we've both given our X's and O's? So I think it will be competitive, but you did a really good job of describing Andrade's like assets, her strengths over her division, over a lot of probably multiple divisions, I think, actually. She has this like superhuman strength. So I think that's going to be the deciding factor here. I see it actually going the distance, but I think it's going to be Andrade by uh, by decision. That's uh, I don't see her being able to knock out Wiley Zhang. I don't think that even if she muscles her or slams her, I don't think it's going to be a fight finisher the way it was with Rose. You you mentioned you know the physique of Wiley Zhang, and it's it's true they're. They're comparable as far as, you know, the eye test, but, but Andrade has a lot more, you know, beneath the surface with, the, with like, muscle fibers and, you know, her, fat, her, her muscle fibers and the fast twitch that she has. So that's an X factor for her. And so for that reason, I think she'll still pull out the win by decision. But I, I expect a competitive fight, so I'm looking forward to this for sure, even though it's at 3 a.m. Specific <laughs> time. <laughs> yeah, you got to set the alarm clock, maybe get your coffee a little early for this one. Um, I yeah. have Jessica Andrade, too. I actually feel like it becomes a very more of a pick'em fight, uh, you know, a coin flip the later it goes. I feel like Jessica, if Whaley is still hanging with her in the fifth round, I think it's because it's a much closer fight. I think that um, Jessica wants to do damage early and kind of just gas her out by the fifth. But I think that at the end of the day, Jessica's wrestling, Jessica's ability to do damage is going to be the difference. I think, um, I, th- I just think that Whaley is going to struggle in the fight. I think that as uh, Jessica gets the fight to the ground, that's where it's going to be. Now, if uh, Whaley defends it and can maintain the distance, I think that starts to lean toward Whaley. That being said, I do think it's going to be Jessica who gets the fight where she wants it. And I see a unanimous decision, too. Um, I think if she's going to get a finish, it's going to be just getting on top of her in a bad spot and just raining down bombs into crucifix or somewhere else on top where Whaley just didn't see it coming. And once again, that power doing what it does to most of the strawweight division for Jessica Andrade. But... Yeah, I see and still going into Saturday afternoon when the fight is already over. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. That's, that's how it just based on past performances. But I actually forgot to, to incorporate, I mean, you know, there is the home, uh, home turf advantage. I wonder if that's going to do anything for Weili Zhang, give her a little extra oomph. And uh, could it be the difference? I don't know. It's tough to say, but it'll certainly help. It, it never hurts to be at home. No, for sure. I think that she'll be, she's going to come out pumped up. Who wouldn't? It's like, man, it's just gone drush. I'm in front of all my people, you know. Let me, sh- let me show up and represent tonight. I think that that's going to play into it. And also, um, she's fought in the UFC in China before. She got the win, and she was pumped up, if you ever watch the clip. So, you know, 
she likes it. She feels that energy. This is what she loves to do also. So I think it's going to be a pretty good one too. But yeah, good stuff, a lot of fun. We'll obviously recap all of that. Then, of course, next week the UFC goes to Abu Dhabi. We won't be because that's a very long flight, if you ask me. But we'll be talking about it. It is finally here, Habib versus Poirier, the fight that I feel like we've been just waiting on since uh, April, since Dustin got that win over Max Holloway. What is the most interesting factor of that fight? Um, you know, before we end t- today's show, I think it's Dustin's intelligence and his his the power in his hands. That's that's for me the thing that that could be the the game changer. Uh, I agree. It's the well-roundedness of Dustin. Can it is it enough to do you know to kind of stop the onslaught that Habib's done to so many people? Um, you know, but once again, it's Habib. He's gotten this many wins for a reason, and all of that makes it a very interesting fight. Um, I feel, I, look, everybody wanted to see Tony Habib for good reason, but I think that you can't sleep on this fight. These are two of the best lightweights in the world right now, arguably, that we've seen in a long time. So I think it's it's a great fight, and I'm you know I'm excited to talk the X's and O's. Um, the undercard has a few people: Paul Felder, Andrea Lee. So we'll have some other stuff to talk about. But for the most part, we all know what you know. This is the one everyone's tuning in for is to see just how good Habib looks after the Conor McGregor stuff. So it'll be interesting, and we'll be back to recap all of that action. Natalie, welcome back to L.A. Where can the fans keep up with you on social media? They can find me on Twitter at uh, Natalie Zamudio underscore, I almost said the old one, Natalie Zamudio underscore at Twitter. Straightpunch.com is the website. And, uh, yeah, glad to be back in L.A. Looking forward to, um, to Labor Day weekend. And I'm sorry that you're going to be laboring, but... Maybe you can at least get Monday off. I <laughs> uh, will see. I'll find out. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, but you can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double. I am there on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, we will be back next week. Until then, have a great Labor Day weekend.